Walter Sports Bar is again this college football season the D.C. hangout for Florida State fans. Make your plans now for Sunday night of Labor Day weekend as FSU takes on LSU. Will Dylan Cruz be there to cheer on his Tigers? Unlikely. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Left-handers 1-0. Swing a long drive to left field for Keboom. Back goes the left fielder Pereira to the wall. He leaps and it is gone. How about Carter Keboom? First at bat in the big leagues in nearly two years, and it's a home run. Third baseman shortens into the grass and a swing and a long drive to right. Down the line, hooking toward the corner. Will it stay fair? It hits the foul pole. It is gone. Goodbye. A home run for C.J. Abrams. Puts the Nationals in front here with two out of the top of the eighth inning. Harvey to the belt. Payoff pitch on the way. Swing and a miss. Blows it by him. 97-mile-an-hour fastball. Hear the reaction of the crowd here in the Bronx. Josiah wasn't real sharp, but he made pitches when he had to. Gave us six strong innings. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Yankee Stadium in New York City. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. You could say that uh, Tuesday was an eventful day for the Nats. Tuesday morning, the Nats officially announced having agreed with their manager, Davey Martinez, on a multi-year contract extension, what reportedly is a two-year contract extension with an option for a third season. We are awaiting an official announcement on a contract extension with President of Baseball Operations and General Manager Mike Rizzo. Later in the day on Tuesday, we had a number of significant promotions in the Nats minor league system becoming official. And then on Tuesday night, we had another Nats win. This is becoming routine. The Nats winning a 2-1 win at the New York Yankees in game one of a three-game series. The Nats now have won 20 of their last 30 games. The Nats this season have gone from 38 and 58 to now 58 and 68. And the Yankees now have lost nine consecutive games. But before we get to all of the baseball, we do want to make an announcement. The second ever Nats chat podcast party now is set. Will happen at our home base, the official sports bar of the Nats Chat Podcast and the best sports bar in the Washington, D.C. area, Walters, right uh, next to Nationals Park. The date is Friday night, October 13th. Yes, we are doing the party on Friday, 
the 13th. Mark, I'm not sure if we should be nervous about that, but we are doing the party. So we look forward to what should be a great night. Well, you know what I am nervous about, Al, about having the party on that night? We might be busy recording a podcast after game three of the NLDS across the street at Nats Park the way this is going, because as we record this, they are now seven games back. I know I keep saying, like, let's not get nuts here, but it's getting a little interesting. It's getting a little interesting the way they're playing. While I don't think the Nats are going to be playing on October 13th, just the mere fact here in late August that we have to at least qualify that possibility is really remarkable. I, it, what they have done here is truly astounding. And I think beyond anybody, your most optimistic view of what might be six weeks ago, I don't think anybody could have seen this one coming. It is awesome to be able to have the fun of talking about the Nats being at wild card contention. Now, if we can just be serious about the wild card contention thing for a moment, the problem is that there are so many teams in front of the Nats in terms of the wild card standing. So, yes, the Nats, as we record this, are seven games out of that uh, third and final wild card spot in the National League. But there are a bunch of teams bunched in rather tight in terms of being a game or two out of those spots. So, you know, that would be sort of the bucket of cold water on all of that. But look, the fact that we can acknowledge this is crazy. So absolutely uh, a salute to the Nats for that. A lot going on, as I just said. We'll deal with the game first and then some of the news. So Josiah Gray was the Nats starting pitcher on Tuesday night for this 2-1 win at the Yankees. Gray came into the game having had a terrible month of August. He came into the game having registered an ERA of 11-12 over three starts this month. Well, Josiah Gray on Tuesday night was back to doing what he has done for so much of this season, which of course has been a really nice step forward season for him. And that is get good results despite some questionable process. And boy, was this an interesting outing. So Gray allowed one run in six innings. Very good, especially considering that aforementioned ERA of 11-12 over three starts this month. But Gray allowed the one run in six innings despite issuing a whopping five walks and a hit by pitch. And despite throwing just 50 strikes versus 51 balls over 101 hitches. Yes, he threw more balls than he threw strikes. It is exceptionally rare for a starting pitcher in an outing of at least six innings to throw more balls than strikes. It is even more rare for a starting pitcher in an outing of at least six innings to throw more balls than strikes and allow one run or less. (laughs) And yet, that is what Josiah Gray did on Tuesday night. Now, he only gave up one hit, which was a leadoff homer by the Yankees' number nine batter, Ben Rortvet, to right field in the bottom of the third to tie the game at one. And Gray recorded four strikeouts. But man, what did you think about this outing from Josiah Gray? I don't think I've ever seen one like that, what you just outlined there. More balls than strikes, but only one run allowed. And it made for just I think Josiah himself was kind of having trouble wrapping his head fully around this one because there were things that he was obviously frustrated with and knowing that he's got to be better than that, but also acknowledging at the end of the day, his job is to give up as few runs as possible. And he did that. He gave up one run on a leadoff homer in the third inning, and that was it. And so you do take some pride in that. And because it's not the first time we've seen him do this, this year. Maybe this was the most extreme example of it, but he has shown this ability 
to make pitches when he has to. He gets himself in trouble, but he finds a way out of it. And that is part of the name of the game when you're a pitcher is to be able to do that. Now, you'd rather only have to do that once or twice a night, not every single inning. You'd rather, when only giving up one hit, be able to provide more than six innings of work because your pitch count should be a lot lower than it was. But in the end, it's about the final result, and you can't argue with that. And this was, for him, a momentous night because he was pitching at home. I know he's pitched three times at City Field, but he grew up closer to Yankee Stadium in New Rochelle, grew up a Yankees fan, talked a lot about that after the game, and had a lot of family and friends here. And you could tell this one meant a little more to him. So even if the path that got him there was a little winding, the end result, I think, he was really proud of that he did it on this night in this ballpark. It really is such a fascinating season that Gray is having. And we've had this conversation before, but the peripherals are not great. And they do suggest that he should not be having the season that he's having. And yet he continues to have this season. Now, like I said, the first three starts this month were really bad. So you wondered if that long expected market correction was in fact happening. But There is something to be said for him. He's now made 25 starts this season, and a lot of them have been along the lines of what we saw on Tuesday night. Now, Tuesday night was on the extreme end of the spectrum, but you know, as much as I don't like any starting pitcher having to make a living doing this, putting guys on base but finding ways out of jams, like I just don't think that that's sustainable. There is something to be said for like developing the ability to do that, and I don't think like that that's you know a fake like magical thing. Like I think that is an experience that you have. And if you're able to compose yourself and make quality pitches when you need to with guys on base, there's something to be said for that. The concern would be that, you know, you do keep putting guys on base. And the other thing is this, you know, we're now going into Josiah Gray starts like expecting this. We're expecting him to put guys on base. We're expecting him to be pitch inefficient. And, you know, that's not good. Like you would have hoped by this point this season, this being the step forward season, that he wouldn't be doing that. And and it seems like he's regressed in that way. It wasn't like this a few months ago. It really has become like this these last few weeks. These outings, so many of them recently have been like what he did on Tuesday night. Yeah, I think what Davey Martinez and Jim Hickey want him to take from this the most is the following. His stuff is really good. When he puts it anywhere near the strike zone, he doesn't give up that much. He has really cut back on the home run problem from last year. He's not giving up a lot of hits in general. Pretty much if he's getting in trouble, it is through walks or because his command is way off. And so it sounds easy to say it's harder to put it into practice, but trust your stuff. Trust that you can throw it near the vicinity of the strike zone and chances are you're not going to give up that many hits. Now, it's up to him to do whatever it is he needs to do. I think some of it's mechanics. He talked about trying to sync up his lower half with his upper half. Maybe that's been an issue here and throwing the mechanics off leading to some of the command woes. But I think in the back of his mind, he's got to realize like, I'm good. Like I can have success at this level. I just need to be better at throwing the ball in the strike zone. And if it happens and he has a game where he throws 70% strikes and they hit him really hard, okay, then you go back to the drawing board. But right now, if I'm him, I'm thinking, just throw as many strikes as I can, force them to do something with it, because they're really not making that much loud contact off him. Well, great work by the Nats bullpen in this 2-1 win at the Yankees on Tuesday night. Three Nats relievers combined for three scoreless innings. Mason Thompson, a uh, scoreless bottom of the seventh. Hunter Harvey, an outstanding bottom of the eighth, a perfect bottom of the eighth in facing 
the Yankees' numbers two through four batters, Aaron Judge, Glaber Torres, and John Carlos Stanton. And Harvey struck out Judge and Stanton. And then Kyle Finnegan, a scoreless bottom of the ninth for the save. We know that Finnegan has remained the Nats' closer despite this recent return of Harvey, who, remember, had supplanted Finnegan as the Nats' closer. But I think what happened on Tuesday night is a perfect example of how you may not close out the game, but you can certainly pitch in the most significant relief pitcher inning of the game. And Harvey did that. I mean, him being perfect with a couple of strikeouts and facing the heart of the Yankees lineup in that bottom of the eighth, off the Nats having just taken a 2-1 lead. What a job by Hunter Harvey on Tuesday night. Power versus power, you know? Here it comes. I'm going to throw you my best. You try to hit it. And he won this battle easily, it seemed like. Now, John Carlos Stanton's maybe not quite who he used to be, the perennial Nats killer, although he hit one ball to the warning track and had a line out to center field his other time up. So he still got something in there. And boy, how about the job they did against Aaron Judge? 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. Josiah Gray struck him out twice. And I mean, Harvey made him look silly. The Yankees have a lot of issues right now. Aaron Judge is not really one of them. He continues to be a force in their lineup. And Hunter Harvey made mincemeat of him in that at bat. And that's a really good thing to see, especially now that we're talking about Harvey has made three appearances in five days since coming off the IL, I believe, on, off, on, off, on. And the fact that he's still sustaining velocity and command And as far as we know, not dealing with any health issues is a great sign that he can finish out this season healthy and strong for them at the back of the bullpen. Yeah, the Yankees this season have been a major disappointment offensively. Actually, coming into the day on Tuesday, the Nats as a team ranked ahead of the Yankees as a team in team-weighted runs created plus on the season. But no doubt, Judge has not been a part of the uh, Yankees disappointing hitting. Judge, even with going 0 for 4 with three strikeouts on Tuesday night, slugging 607 on the year, which is uh, pretty good. I mean, you slug 500, that's good. This guy's over 600 on the year. Hey, are you a law firm partner or an associate stuck on an underperforming franchise? Or are you stuck in the minors like Carter Keboom just was? Do what Nationals legend Max Scherzer did. Demand a trade. He left the New York Mets, right? And uh, ended up on a contender in the American League. There might be greener pastors and a lot more money at another law firm for you and your team at another law firm, not to mention better management and better services to offer your clients. The law firm lateral partner market is still red hot, and Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfas is the best legal recruiter in Washington, D.C., or anywhere. And Mason wants to help you find a new and better home. Mason Kalfas, he is the Scott Boris of legal recruiters. Put him to work for you. Mason will sit down with you and understand your practice and career or financial goals. He will confidentially discuss your candidacy with law firms that are contenders, not 60 win teams. Uh, There is no CBA in the law firm world. Do not be stuck with a poverty franchise like poor Paul Skeens, okay? (laughs) Call Mason today, located in Washington, D.C. Mason also specializes in working with government lawyers from the DOJ, SEC, FTC, and FDA. He has placed partners at dozens of elite national law firms straight out of those partners' government positions. With the first Biden administration winding down, give Mason Kalfas a call to position yourself 
for a move to private practice today. You can reach Mason or any of his team of seven recruiters at 202-486-3535 or email Mason at mason at zenithlegal.com. That's 202-486-3535 or via email at mason at zenithlegal.com. Go Nats! The Nats will be contenders very soon, and you can be a contender even sooner. Hitting his sets. Shuffled, he goes. The pitch swung on. Ground ball at third in between up. Vargas has it. Off balance. Throw across the diamond. Is in plenty of time. And bang, zoom, a curly W's in the books here at Yankee Stadium. The Nats on Tuesday night scored just the two runs. Totaled just seven hits, worked just two walks, went 0 for 2 with runners in scoring position, but the Nats did hit two home runs. A couple of solo homers were what made up the Nats scoring two runs in this 2 1 win. One of the homers came from C.J. Abrams, who has hit yet another big home run for him this season. Abrams on Tuesday night as the Nats starting shortstop and, of course, number one batter, one for four with a solo homer. He and a Nats one run eighth had a tie breaking two out first pitch solo home run off the right field foul pole for a 2 1 Nats lead. Now, the homer was what you call a Yankee Stadium special. The homer measured as being just 345 feet, according to the Statcast projection. But hey, a homer is a homer. The ballpark is the ballpark. And, you know, you think about C.J. Abrams, you know, he dipped down a little bit not long ago, but he now has had 37 games as the Nats' number one batter. His OPS over those 37 games, 791. And he has hit some homers. He hit that big home run in the 8-7 win over the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park this past Friday night. That went out first pitch, three-run homer to right field for a 7-6 Nats lead in that Nats' six-run fourth inning. He's hitting homers. He's hitting significant homers. And he had another one on Tuesday night. Yeah. So consider this. Five of his 13 home runs now have been either to tie the game or give the Nationals the lead. So these are meaningful homers like Cabert Ruiz in a lot of cases. And I think that should not be overlooked. I think that is a big deal that he is finding a way to deliver in big spots. The thing I like about what C.J. Abrams is doing, and we're really seeing it here in the last you know month plus, he's not going up there trying to hit home runs. He's not swinging out of his heels. But when he does get a pitch, he can do something with. And for him, that's usually down in the zone. He's recognizing it and turning on it and doing what he did in this game. That was a changeup that he hit out. And he said, you don't go up there looking for a changeup, but you recognize it, you adjust, and you say, oh, this is one I can try to hit hard to the pull side. And he does that. And I think we're seeing like he's a more advanced hitter than maybe we give him credit for. He's a young guy. He doesn't have a lot of professional experience like we've talked about, but he's not just doing this all with pure athletic skill. He's not just like putting the bat on the ball and using his speed to get on base. This guy can be a real hitter, has a plan up there and can do everything, whether it's getting on with speed or hitting for power. And I think the power part of this, I mean, that's 13 homers for him. And most of them here in a a short amount of time that he's hit a lot of these. There are not very many young shortstops in this game who have that club in their bag along with everything else that he brings to the table. And I think that is something that should only continue to get better as he gets more experienced and fills out a little bit in his body. 
It is exciting to think about if the Abrams who we have seen over these last, you know, say 40 games or so is now who Abrams is, what he can do next season over a full six month regular season. Like what kind of numbers can this guy put up if he stays healthy and plays like this next year? Because the guy he has been over these last 40 games or so has been an all-star level player. He did not quite pimp the homer as he did on Friday night, although he did take his time rounding the bases. I'm sensing almost like a uh, Jeffrey Leonard kind of pace with his uh, home run trot these days. He's enjoying himself, which is good. He should be. He's playing well. And Carter Keboom was the man who hit the Nats' other home run on Tuesday night. And yes, I did say Carter Keboom. He is back. We talked about this a bit on the last installment of the podcast. The Nats on Sunday afternoon appointed Keyboom as their number 27 man for the 4-3 win over the Phillies in Williamsport, Pennsylvania on Sunday night in the uh, 2023 MLB Little League Classic. The Nats opted to keep Keyboom at the major league level as opposed to sending him back to AAA Rochester. He on Tuesday night was the Nats starting third baseman and number nine batter and he homered. He went one for three with a solo homer. Keepum in an ads one run third, a leadoff home run to left field for a one nothing Nats lead. I have to tell you, this reminded me of what Carter Keepum did in his major league debut. Here he was, right, his first game back playing for the Nats at the major league level. He homers. What did Keepum do in his major league debut? He homered. In fact, he homered off an ex Nat April 26th, 2019, a 4-3 Nats loss to the San Diego Padres at Nationals Park. Keyboom in his major league debut, a leadoff homer to center field off ex-Nat Craig Stammen in the bottom of the eighth to tie the game at three. And then two days later, a 7-6, 11-inning Nats win over the Padres at Nationals Park, April 28, 2019. Keyboom homered again, uh, went out full count game-tying solo homer in the bottom of the fifth. Now, the problem is that since that weekend against the Padres, Keeboom has not done much in his major league career. We know that. He essentially has been a bust off having been taken with the number 28 overall pick in the 2016 MLB draft. Tommy John surgery, May 27th, 2022. He was on the 10-day injured list this year, March 30th until May 7th, due to a right shoulder impingement. We know that Brady House is a third baseman of the future. Keeboom is getting perhaps a final, true, legitimate shot to be a Nats regular here uh, with what's happening the rest of this season. But it was good to see this. I was happy that Carter Keeboom did what he did on Tuesday night. I think a lot of people were really happy to see it. They know how hard he's worked to get back to this point. And you could see the emotion from him. And he shared it with us afterwards. This one was special for him. Talked a little bit about this the other, the other night in Williamsport. But he's coming into this with a very fresh attitude and very different attitude. And he, he mentioned that when he was first up here, you talked about 19. Remember, the team that he joined was loaded with star power, loaded with veterans. And he was called up from AAA because Trey Turner was hurt and they desperately needed somebody to stabilize the shortstop position on a team that was off to a really rough start and had the highest of expectations. And so there was pressure on him and he put pressure on himself. And we all know how that went. It did not go well and that carried over for multiple seasons. Well, all this time off, and now he comes back to a clubhouse that is dramatically different than the one that he used to be in. It's now filled with young guys, a lot of highly touted first round picks themselves, just like he once was. And he feels, I think in some ways, like he fits in a little better. And he feels like the pressure is not on him. And he's making a point not to put the pressure on himself. He's been given this opportunity, probably a final opportunity 
to make his case to still be a part of this thing moving forward. And he just wants to enjoy it, play baseball the way he knows he can play it, and then see where the chips land at the end of all that. Now, who knows? <laughs> it was one game, one really nice home run, and who knows what happens from here. But he is going to get a chance. Davey essentially said that he's going to start against lefties for now with the opportunity to maybe start against righties as well if he's performing up to it. So this game was a good one, a good matchup for him. I'll be curious to see when we see him play next. But he's going to get at least a chance. And it's up to him what he does with it and if he can kind of miraculously throw himself back into the mix here. A guy that I think most people kind of forgot about and assumed that the team was ready to move on from. Thought it was telling Davey Martinez in his postgame session with you guys made mention of, you know, he had a postgame meeting essentially with Carter Keyboom and Davey told Keyboom that uh, Davey was proud of him for doing that. So I thought that that was pretty neat to see. He just came out of my office and told him I was proud of him. I mean, he, he went down there and worked really hard to get back up here. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, the heat, the humidity, the sky-high temperatures, uh, they all are here. And all of this is forcing your air conditioning into overdrive, leading to ultra-high energy bills. The solution, new windows from the folks at Window Nation. And Window Nation right now is offering a sensational deal to listeners of the Nat Chat podcast. Right now, no money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, no money down, no payments, no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off your order, 866-90NATION or windownation.com. You've been thinking about getting new windows. Now is the time. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Tim Shovers here to tell you about the Game Time app. A lot happening in D.C. this coming weekend. Nickelback Concert, DC United, The Mystics, and Commander's preseason finale. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It is the fastest growing ticketing app in the USA for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy, so that way you know exactly what to expect when you show up. Grab the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Here's what to do. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT, that's spelled N-A-T-S-C-H-A-T, for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about Factor, which is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. I have been eating Factor meals. They are outstanding. They can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. We, of course, are in the thick of summer, but the school year isn't far away. Everyone's busy. You want to make sure that you're eating well. With Factor, you can skip 
that extra trip to the grocery store and also skip the chopping, the prepping, and the cleaning up too while still getting the flavor and the nutrition that you need. Factors Fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. All you have to do is heat up the meal and enjoy the meal and then get back to doing whatever it is that you need to be doing. Here's what you do. Go to factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use the code NatsChat50. You do that, you get 50% off. Yeah, 50% off. Go to factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use that promo code NatsChat50 for 50% off. Factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use that promo code NatsChat50 for 50% off. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. The 1-0 is a cracked line drive out into right center field and down for a base hit. One hops to the right fielder Ortiz for a Cruz first double-A hit. That didn't take long. Dylan Cruz in his double-A debut on Tuesday evening hit leadoff in center field for the Harrisburg Senators, went one for one, scored a run, had a hit, RBI, walked twice, and was hit by a pitch in his first plate appearance. He was thrown out while trying to steal second base. Harrisburg defeated the visiting Reading Fighting Phils 5-1. Now back to Mark and Al. I did get an extension, and um, I'm elated to be back and knowing that I'm coming back here for a few more years. It's been a blessing for me and my family. I want to thank the Lerner family for all they've done for me and my family, um, Riz, uh, the group upstairs, and these players that you know that play hard every day. I mean, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed every bit of being here. Well, Davey Martinez is uh, sticking around for a while, and it's looking like Mike Rizzo will be sticking around for a while as well. So we had big Nats news on Monday afternoon, what was a Nats off day. Multiple reports that the Nats and Davey had agreed on a two-year contract extension that includes a third-year option, and that the Nats and Mike Rizzo were close to finalizing a contract extension of similar length. The extension for Davey Martinez now is official. The Nats made that announcement on Tuesday morning. Nothing official yet with Mike Rizzo, although presumably an announcement is coming. Although our friend Barry Verluga had an interesting tweet on Tuesday night that uh, we can get to in a bit. A lot of ways we can attack this. I guess let's start with this. In the bigger picture of the sale of the Nats, do these extensions suggest to you anything in particular about the sale? I think a theory is that, well, these extensions suggest that a sale isn't imminent and a sale probably won't be happening anytime soon. Is that how you read this? I do read it that way, but I also feel like no matter what that situation was, we kind of reached a point where what else are you going to do? I mean, you're nearing the end of the season and the end of his contract and the team is playing really well. Now going to decide now we're going to make a change at manager. I've felt all along, we've discussed this, that both Davey and Rizzo, I felt like were probably secure moving forward. Just the circumstances of this, I felt like all along, once you decided to retain them at the moment that you began the rebuild, don't you kind of have to let them have a chance to see it through? Are you going to fire a GM and a manager You know, two years into a rebuild? You wouldn't generally do it that way. Certainly could have at the end of the 2021 season decided, all right, you know what, we're starting all over and everything, and we're going to include 
the manager and the and the GM in that regard. They chose not to. So to me, I think you have to now give them this opportunity to see if they can finish this thing off and get them back to where they want to be. The performance of the last month plus, I think, helps a lot too. But as we discussed, I think the most fascinating part of it to me wasn't whether or not they'd be offered contracts to come back, but what the length of those contracts would be. If ownership really was uncertain, if they had reason to believe that they were close to selling the team, would they have tried to lowball them and offer them one year? The feeling being, hey, that's not our decision to make. Ultimately, a new owner should have the ability to make changes or retain them as they see fit. So the fact that they did give Davey two guaranteed years and a third-year option, I think number one is appropriate. It's still even a little on the low end for a manager who has been around as long as he has. But I think it's also a sign that chances are these guys know they're owning the team at least into next season and maybe even beyond that. I have seen no evidence in a while to suggest that they are anywhere close to consummating a sale. So part of me thought this would drag on because that's the way the learners always do it. But when it happened, you thought, well, yeah, that makes sense. We've reached a point here where you're not going to make a change now and the team is playing really well. You've got good vibes all around. Why not add to it and get that deal done now? So I think a lot of people were happy to see that done and now it's not this major question looming over Davey and his coaching staff for the rest of the season. So, like I said, the Davey extension is official. The Mike Rizzo extension is not official. This was interesting. So, we had big news with the Chicago White Sox on Tuesday evening. Uh, the White Sox have fired their executive vice president, Ken Williams, and have fired their senior vice president slash general manager, Rick Hahn. Barry Verluga, columnist for the Washington Post, a guy who has been uh, very plugged in with the Nats for years, put out a few tweets on Tuesday night. Now, he admits that this is pure speculation, but I do think this is worth at least talking about. So Barry wrote, this is interesting and let me connect some dots that maybe should not be connected. The Nats extended manager Davey Martinez. They have not yet come to terms with GM slash pres of baseball ops Mike Rizzo. The White Sox now have openings atop baseball ops. Rizzo is from Chicago. White Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf adores Rizzo's late father, Phil, a longtime scout. And Reinsdorf is one owner who may not be married to the modern Ivy League educated general manager. Again, pure speculation. But I guess I would just ask it like this. Is there any significance to the fact that the Davy extension has been announced and the Rizzo extension has not been announced, or do you not read anything into that? Well, my understanding of it is that it's exactly what, what that is. They worked out a deal with Davy that he agreed to. They have not yet worked out a deal with Mike Rizzo. I think there was optimism that that will ultimately get done, but it has not been done yet. And until it's done, anything can happen. And I will admit when I saw that news, it was just before first pitch here at Yankee Stadium, saw that pop up on the screen, I had the same thought, like, whoa, that's an interesting one with a connection to Mike Rizzo. Now, do I believe that that's a likely outcome for him? Probably not, because the White Sox are a mess and they need to start all over again. And if you're Mike Rizzo and you're already two years into a rebuild here, why would you want to go start over somewhere else where it may take even longer than that to do it? So, I don't think that would be more appealing to him, but we know that Mike Rizzo, as a negotiator and as someone who's confident in his own abilities, wants to get the best deal for himself and wants to get what he feels like he is worth. 
And if, and I, I don't know the details of what their negotiations have been, but if to this point, the learners have not made him an offer that he felt like was up to what he is looking for, then he has the right to hold out here for a little bit. And maybe if there's no even realistic path to him ending up in the South side of Chicago, it certainly provides him with some leverage to use against the Lerner family and to just mention the possibility that there could be another opportunity for him out there. So as we like to say, Mike Rizzo has hand right now in this relationship, which is a pretty amazing thing when you consider the history of this and where it's gone, the ups and downs of it all, that all of a sudden now he's in a pretty advantageous position, is he not? Yeah, Mike Rizzo has hand, and we do not mean Brad hand. It is a uh, much different kind of hand. The Rizzo thing is just fascinating on so many levels. So first of all, he has been here for so long. I mean, it was in July 2006 that the Nats hired Mike Rizzo. He got promoted to interim general manager March 2009 off the Jim Bowden-Jose Rio fiasco, and then got the interim tag uh, from the GM title removed in August 2009. So here we are now, August 2023. He's been running Nats baseball operations for more than 14 years. He's one of the longest tenured executives in Washington, D.C. sports history. I think that he might be the second best D.C. sports executive of all time. Bobby Bethard has to be number one, but after him, you can make a very compelling case that Mike Rizzo is number two. But, you know, it's impossible for me to think about him getting extended and all of these, you know, flowers that are being thrown toward Rizzo's way with the Nats doing well, and not even mention, like, Yes, he's done a good job here lately, but he's done a good job of fixing a situation that collapsed under his watch. Like, he has cleaned up a mess that he essentially created with the bad drafting and the bad player development. And I don't think you can talk about Mike Rizzo without mentioning that. Like, I do think that he deserves credit for what's happened with the Nats lately and what's happened with this infusion of talent into the minor league system over these last few years. But you can't say that and not mention, yeah, the Nats from 2012 through however, you know, we'll see when we mark the end of the bad drafting. But it was one bad draft after another. They have not hit on players. Like, this is quantifiable. Baseball America wrote a whole thing about this around the time of the MLB draft this year, talking about the Nats' futility, extreme futility, especially with position players. So, you know, Mike Rizzo, does he have leverage? On the one hand, yes. One of the best executives in D.C. sports history, Nats on the rise. You know, their farm system right now is number eight in baseball per MLB pipeline. A lot to like, no doubt. On the other hand, you also could say, well, hey, you traded Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, and Juan Soto and got us a bunch of good young players. You drafted Dylan Cruz. You think you're the only guy who could have done that? Like, there probably are other executives who could have done that. I don't think that's an unreasonable tack to take. So, I think it's tricky. I think it's complicated with Mike. I would like to see him stay. I think he's done an overall really good job here. I think if ever there was a general manager who general managed his way into a bad situation but deserved the opportunity to general manage his way out of the situation, it is Mike Rizzo. I wouldn't say that about a lot of people. I think you can say that about Mike. But I don't think it's as simple as, boy, he's doing a bang-up job. you got to give this guy what he wants. Like I think there are a lot more layers to this. And you know, I sometimes feel like we're the only ones who ever talk about this, but like the drafting thing is a big thing. That's what got them into this mess. And I think that's a part of the conversation here. Well, and especially when his background, what he is known for, the reason he ultimately became a general manager is in scouting, particularly in the draft. So it is kind of funny that 
a lot of the success that he has had in his time here has been more so because of free agent signings and trades. He's been a fantastic GM when it comes to trades along the way, whether it's acquiring guys who already are established or more recently trading away the established guys and getting really good young talent in return. So yeah, everything you just said is absolutely correct. And it is fascinating that like in other towns and other situations, or maybe if not for the one year that it did all come together for them in 2019, you could probably say the same for Davey. We might have a very different outlook of this and not feel like either of those men had earned the right to do this again. But because they have done it, there's sort of this idea of, well, they've done it before. Can't we trust them that they can do it again? And so that's the position that they're in. I do think ultimately they will work something out. I don't know how much of a stickler either is going to be at this. And you know, are they really going to hold out and say, well, no, I want this. No, we're not going to give you that. Okay, fine. And after all these years, they're going to break up over that. We don't know what Jerry Reinsdorf is going to do with the White Sox. That is an organization that really is in shambles and needs an overhaul. And while it may fit with Reinsdorf's old school mentality to get a guy like Mike Rizzo, is that the best course of action for the Chicago White Sox? Or do they need to take a completely different approach to the way they do things? So I don't know how that's all going to play out. It is an interesting wrinkle that was thrown into this here at the last minute. And I would not be surprised, nor would I fault Mike Rizzo if he tries to use that to his advantage. But I do think ultimately it makes more sense on his end and on the Nationals' end for them to work out something to retain him for at least a few more years. I think everyone has every reason to be bullish on the Nats, but I tell you, the White Sox are a case study in you can look like a team of the future and then it can all fall apart. It was just a few years ago that the White Sox were viewed as a team on the rise, a team of the future, a team that was oozing great young superstar talent and Things did not quite work out that way. All right. Well, like we said, there's been a lot going on with the Nats. On another day, this may well have been the headline item, but uh, this gets you know buried deep in the show because of everything else going on. But the Nats on Tuesday, oh, by the way, announced a number of significant promotions. These promotions all became official in terms of the Nats' minor league system. So the promotion of the Nats' top prospect outfielder, Dylan Cruz, from low A Fredericksburg to double A Harrisburg, now official. We've talked about that. The promotion of outfielder Jacob Young, from AA Harrisburg to AAA Rochester became official on Tuesday. Jacob Young earlier this season was playing for High A Wilmington. So he this season is playing for three different levels of the Nats farm system. The Nats took Young in the seventh round of the 2021 MLB draft out of Florida. So maybe there's a uh, non-first round draft pick hit for the Nats. We'll see. Uh, the promotion of third baseman Yohandi Yo-Yo Morales from Low A Fredericksburg to High A Wilmington became official on Tuesday. The Nats took Morales in the second round of the 2023 draft out of Miami. The promotion of outfielder Andrew Pinckney from Low A Fredericksburg to High A Wilmington became official on Tuesday. Nats took him in the fourth round of the 2023 draft out of Alabama. And the promotion of Christian Vaquero from the FCL, the Florida Complex League, to low A Fredericksburg became official on Tuesday. Christian Vaquero, the Nats, on January 15th, 2022, it was day one of MLB's 2022 international signing period, announced the signing of Vaquero. This guy, his nickname is The Phenomenon. He, at the time of his signing with the Nats, was just 17 years old. He was ranked by Baseball America as the number one international player who was eligible to sign 
with a major league team in that year. So, you know, a lot of good and exciting stuff is happening in the Nats farm system right now. There's so much to sort of digest with all of that. What would you say kind of hits you in terms of the most prominent items from all of that? I'll add one more to it also that Elijah Green officially is back at Fredericksburg after dealing with an injury and quote unquote being sent down or put on the developmental list as they call it to go work on things in West Palm Beach. So I think what stands out to me out of all this, it's not any one individual. It's the number of outfielders we just talked about right there. They are stacked with outfielders and it is going to be fascinating to see who ultimately emerges from that group and in what order that all happens. If everybody somehow panned out, there's not room for all of them in D.C. someday. Now, you could have some move positions, whatever. Chances are they aren't all going to pan out. But I do think it's really interesting how that position of all has just become completely overstocked to the point that they have to move guys around levels because there wouldn't be playing time for them anywhere. You saw on this night the brand new Harrisburg outfield trio of Dylan Cruz, James Wood, and Robert Hassel the third, and you had Dylan Cruz in center field out of the three of them. Now, they may move him around from time to time, but at least on night one, Dylan Cruz was the one in center field. That was a loaded lineup that Harrisburg had for that game, the top five guys, all potentially big leaguers here sometime soon. It is really exciting to see that possibility of some big-name guys who are not that far away, that by this time next year, we could be talking about a lot, if not all of them, at the big league level. So obviously Dylan Cruz to double A was the biggest story, but we talked about that the other day when they announced it. Vaquero, I met him in spring training. He looks like a kid. He is all arms and legs. He's got to grow into his body, but they love the athletic ability that he has. And it's a long-term project. He's 17, like you said. It's going to take a while. They have no need to rush him. But if he fills out, if he turns into the player they think he can be, that's going to be a fascinating discussion at some point. He'll be behind everyone else on the depth chart in terms of reaching the big leagues, but maybe he forces his way up here at some point. I'm just interested to see who from that group makes it, when do they make it, and then what do they do with the others? And it's a conversation for another time, but if Mike Rizzo is retained, I think there's going to be a point this offseason when he's looking at what this team needs. What this team needs is starting pitching, experienced starting pitching. And the best way to get that may be by trading from your surplus of minor league outfielders. So that's for another day, but that's something that's on my mind right now. We shall see. There is a lot to be thinking about, though, right now, if you're a Nats fan, for sure. And a lot of it is good. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the program, we'd love to have you on board. Hit up Tim Shover, see what we can do for you, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on our website, NatsChatPodcast.com, at which you can buy a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt, and we very much appreciate that. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit TimNewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And now, after a long set, delivers. Blankenhorn swings and crushes it to right. Down the line, near the foul pole. It is off the foul pole. A walk-off two-run homer from Travis Blankenhorn. Amazing. The Red Wings score seven runs in the ninth inning. 
Black and Orange swarmed by his teammates at home plate. And the Red Wings win it 8 to 7. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.